The Gucci Girl, Prada Professional, Coach Queen, or Target Trendsetter. No matter how you describe her, she's the most powerful consumer in the country. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Join marketing to women expert Maria Ritan, principal at Top Sale Strategies, as she chats with those in the know so that your business can grow. Now please welcome our host of Purse Strings, Maria Ritan. Good afternoon and welcome to Purse Strings. I'm Maria Ritan. Thanks so much for joining me today. Purse Strings right here every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Each and every week, you'll learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country, the 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending, the woman. Well, first up, an article by Sarah Mahoney about holiday spending and expensing the sharp decrease spending. You know, each and every year, it's hard to forecast, and it tends to be kind of dismal, I would say. Last year, we thought that holiday spending was going to go fairly well, and it wasn't a total bust. But this year, it is looking lot bust. Um, they did a survey of 1,500 U.S. consumers, and these consumers, you know what? I can find holiday bargains pretty much anywhere, and I don't need to be focused on holiday, uh, the holiday time to make sure I'm getting a good bargain. And um, that's really what's affecting things. You know, I've talked before about is providing a quieting effect on on this. Um, you know, Friday, again, not looking so great uh, for most people. And, um, you know, they are saying that while our financial outlooks tend to be, you know, fairly upbeat, it is down um, this year. And I think the, the political the political nature of our country right now is an effect as well. People are just really to actually be spending money. So with the shift to e-commerce, you know, that has also had a quieting effect. And and 44% of people say they can find deals on any of any day, any day at all. Um, And that's come back to the point that I think a lot of retailers feel like they need to always be on sale. And and what it's ended up doing is commoditizing um, their products. So uh, we'll see what happens this holiday, but know that Accenture is saying that it's definitely going to be down and um, and online. Our first profile today is the Alpha Mom. This is a, a woman in the Gen Y Target, um, you know, doing quite well in her career. More than a million of these women, uh, college grads, employed full-time. And uh, they like to keep up with fashion. They see themselves as influential trendsetters confident in their individualism and ambitious and motivated, like to live in the moment, take advantage of life. And at the same time, though, they desire for something new, for change, um, puts them into new stores or new online reach variety. They do value quality and they say they are willing to pay more for it. So where are they? Shop? It's Neiman Marcus, Ikea, Williams, Sonoma. And Nordstrom are tops for them. They're driving Volvos and BMWs and Hondas, one of my favorites. Um, and when it comes to media, they're reading Wired, Vogue, W, Better Homes and Gardens, and In Style and Time. And they're getting their news from CNN, and they're watching E! and Bravo as well, TV and TLC. So my guest today um, has been living with a story she's been developing for 18 years. And when I think about working on any given project for 18 years, I just can't fathom it. But when I share with you her topic, I think you'll understand why it's taken her 18 years to bring this story to us. 
M. Evelina Galong um, is the author of many books, but it's her latest book on the World War II comfort women called Lola's House, Filipino Women Living with War, that is, is really making waves. It's just come out, and she will be at the Miami Book Fair coming up here um, and sharing her book widely. And um, it is a remarkable book, a collection of 16 stories, women who were ripped from their communities, from their homes, Enforced into sex camps, um, victimized by soldiers in the Japanese Imperial Army. And uh, I think you're going to be compelled uh, by these stories, as Evelina was. And I'm, I'm thrilled to have her here. Please do join me uh, for the next 20 minutes as she shares these stories and what she hopes will be ultimately the outcome of sharing these stories with the world. Stick around. Purse Strings returns after the break. Her Strings will be right back after a word from our advertisers. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network through iHeartRadio iTunes, Stitcher. We can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. Email sales at webmasterradio.fm today and get your message delivered now. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. TopSEOs sends you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. WebmasterRadio.fm is the destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Engage with our panel of on-air experts and peers by following us on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can listen to WebmasterRadio.fm on air or on demand from our website or through iTunes, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts. Interact and stay informed. Just search for WebmasterRadio.fm. Her Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Rutan. And welcome back to First Strings. My guest today is M. Evelina Gallon. She has been named one of the 100 most influential Filipinas in the United States and at large by the Filipina Women's Network. And she's the author of a story collection, Her Wild American Self, and two novels. Her creative nonfiction work documenting the testimonies of World War II comfort women is just out. And she will be talking about Lola's house, Filipina Women Living with War, coming up at the Miami Book Fair, and I'm thrilled to have her on the show today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, this is really an amazing book, and I know we were just talking that it's been 18 years in the making. Congratulations. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. And it's the social justice, isn't it? I mean, that's that's the way I looked at it. You're you're shedding light on a, a, a just an amazing atrocity during wartime that I I don't know that many people really are aware of here in the United States, especially. So, what right. compelled you to take on these women? Well, uh, the women did. The women did. So I was mm-hmm. doing uh, some of my own research for my fiction. I'm really a fiction writer. Um, that's my calling. I, I teach fiction at the University of Miami, and that's the thing I do. But um, I had gone to the Philippines back in um, 1998 to, uh, with a couple of my Philippine-American students to do research for a screenplay. We wanted to uh, know what the stories of the comfort women were and what their lives were like as old women and I was bringing my students there because the story was supposed to be a story about the, a, young, a young girl and her grandmother and the lesson that she might be able to teach that young girl um, about womanhood and her body, right? So I went there to do fiction, but I got there, and they asked me to help them document their stories, and they, mm. they invited me to be a part of their um, social justice campaign, and I took that on. Wow, that... That was a big ask, and yet, how could you not do it, right, after you got there? I mean, I'm sure you felt like it was something you were probably called to do. Well, you know, the thing about the women, and I and I met them when they were in their 70s, and so they still had a lot of energy, that they are charming, and they are loving, and they are uh, dedicated to this fight, and they treated me and my students like we were their granddaughters, so... Lola's house is the Tagalog word for grandmother, and we mm-hmm. actually took on the role of grandchildren. So when your grandma tells you to do something, you better do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. If you know what's good for you, um, yeah, that's right. So let's start. Yeah, so let's let's start with these women. So mm-hmm. and, and kind of put it in historical perspective, because again, sure. I think probably our listeners are are not that aware of it. But these are women, right? along with, I mean, thousands upon thousands that were taken from their everyday lives. They were put in these camps, raped multiple times a day by Japanese soldiers in the Imperial Army until the end of the war. Um, Was this something that was routinely done during war, and maybe we're just ignorant that this happened, or was this unique to this, this event? So the Japanese Imperial Army had the systematic uh, um, they had a systematic routine of taking young women, and they're really young girls. So most of these girls were like 12 years old, 14 years old when they were taken. And historically, just to give you a little context, there were over 400,000 women and girls taken all over the area. You know, so so China, Korea, the Philippines, Malaysia, even Australia, uh, all over the um, the area where they occupied. They took more than 400,000. Uh, young girls and women, and in the Philippines there were like a thousand, and in the Philippines there were 173 who came forward after 50 years of silence, and I got to meet 40 of them, and the stories about these 16 uh, women who were taken as teenagers, placed into military sex slave camps, and um, uh, and like you said, were were raped multiple times a day, depend and then depending on how long they were there, two weeks, two months, two years, um, and it was systematic. So the difference between this kind of um, sexual abuse that happens to women during war and the kind that is still going on today and that has happened for 
um, centuries is that this is systematic, that this was something that the Japanese government uh, put together for their men. So the word comfort station and comfort women was something, a Japanese term that was supposed to comfort the soldiers. Mm, that's just, I mean, it's just terrific. How, how in the world did these women leave this grueling, I mean, just this environment that they were put in? I think one of the things that I can't speak for all women, and I, I can talk about the 14 or the 15 that I, I talked to, and this, actually there's 16 because one of the women stuck, um, like made me a little made me a, uh, with her story on it, so there's really 16 stories, but 15 whom I interviewed, you know, whenever I, I sit with them, whenever I sat with them and talked with them, uh, they always said to me that they made it through Sa'awanangjos, which is Tagalog for, through the mercy of God. And they were of many different kinds of re- religious backgrounds, and some of them maybe not even that religious, but I think there was this, this fighting spirit that, um, that came upon them, um, when they were in these in these camps, and either they were thinking about their families, uh, some of them were old enough to have children or a husband, some of them thought about their parents, some of them witnessed their parents being uh, tortured and skinned alive, uh, and these are the things that that kept them fighting. Mm. So you spent a lot of time with them, and they were sharing your sto- their stories with you. How how did that affect you? Wow, it affected me a lot. You know, like I said, I'm I'm a fiction writer, and uh, I started out writing stories about Filipina American uh, young women uh, that I have witnessed and been a part of, and you know, been in my communities. And all of a sudden, I um, I got involved with their stories and their lives, and it was like a little fire that you know started inside me, and has really pushed me to keep moving and moving and moving and. Um, I mean, even now that the book is out, the book it's it, the work is not done because the book is really um, a call to action. It is really uh, a moment to document their stories where they have not been anywhere in history, um, so that we can incorporate their experience into World War II and learn from those experiences uh, for the women today, for the girls today, for the young, you know, the, those um, who are t- being taken, like for example in um, Bosnia and the Congo, you know, it's still these acts of uh, rape and and injustice are happening to uh, women and their bodies today. They're a continuum of that. And it has, as you can tell, it has like become a part of my own conversation and the way I look at myself as a woman and as a teacher and a mentor. Yeah, I don't know how it couldn't, you know, to hear their firsthand like that and, and to understand too that the Japanese government has never officially, I mean, apologized for this, correct? Correct. Correct. What so, you've had, what you've seen, yeah, what you've seen are um, the prime ministers like Kono. Um, the Kono statement is a statement from uh, uh, an individual government official, you know, uh, saying he's he's sorry. But it, you've never had the Japanese government make a formal apology where the Diet has had to vote on it and where they make a public statement. There's been no apology. Mm. Why? Why is that, do you think? I, I don't know why that is, because it would be so easy to take a look at what's going on and make that apology, because these men and uh, government officials are not the ones that enacted this atrocity on the women. It's, it's a historical thing. But for whatever reason, um, their government is uh, hell-bent 
on not only making the apologies, but erasing these stories from our textbooks and from history. Uh, I don't know if you are aware of it, but there are several comfort women's uh, statues and memorials that have gone up here in the United States. And there has been a strong pushback from the Japanese government and uh, some of the Japanese citizens to these uh, to these organizers who are creating the statues and the memorials for the women. Uh, they just don't want, they, they want to bury this as a, like a secret, like a family secret that nobody, you know, it didn't really happen, mm. but it did. Mm-hmm. And they're not going quietly into the, the good night either. I mean, you've joined them in protest, right? Right, I did, I, um, which was one of the most um, exhilarating experiences I've had was to be with the women um, in the midst of protests, holding up placards with them, shouting, protesting, um, and then to, to, to be in, in, in that space and hear the women stand up and speak their stories and, and, and demand the justice that they so rightly deserve. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think they are just such an amazing testament to how much we as women, as people, can bear and still come out the other side not broken down by bitterness and grief. I mean, you talk about these these women have come out with light and fight. How did they manage to do that? How did they manage to go on and live lives that weren't just devastated by grief and despair? Well, my personal opinion is that the women that I have met also see that what was done to them by these soldiers does not make them who they are right so it it doesn't so they're they're bigger than what happened to them and um and they had to go on because they're they they had their whole lives ahead of them and so what you see is a i think it's a, a beautiful strength um and a love of life and family uh, where they, you know, some of them kept it like Lola Priscilla kept hers a secret from her family for 50 years, and they, and then even beyond that, they didn't know that she was out there um, fighting for justice um, because it was it was such an embarrassing like moment in her life. But at the same time, she wasn't going to let it get her down, you know. So they found mm-hmm. ways to cope and and to um, and to make it work. For Lola Priscilla, she didn't sleep for 50 years. Um, she, the family would go to sleep, and then she would pull out her um, paints and her tempura and her pieces of tissue and cheap cardboard um, slates that she found around, and she would paint these beautiful murals, like the opposite mm-hmm. images of the nightmares that she might have had if she let herself sleep. You know, wow. there's just a great strength of survival and, and I think just love of self, you know, learning, learning that um, what happened to you, and I've heard them talk to uh, young survivors as the years have gone by, it, this is not something that you asked for, this is not something that, uh, that defines you, um, you are bigger than this, you are more beautiful than this, and, and I really saw them living their lives that way. Mm. When these, when the war was over and these women returned to their homelands, I mean, they were not, they were almost victimized all over again, weren't they? Yes. So it really depended on um, what region they were from and uh, how individual, how individual families reacted. But uh, for some, uh, they were, uh, Lola Orduha, for example, often tells a story about how she, they called her, the, the kids on the street were calling her Tirat Nang Japones, Tirat Nang Japones, which is Japanese leftovers in Tagalog. 
and uh, mm-hmm. there was a lot of there was a lot of shame and guilt um, connected to her experiences. And when she knocked on her family's door to come back home, in tears, the answer was through a closed door. Um, Iha, daughter, it might be better if you just go, go to the city. And so that's how she ended mm-hmm. up in Manila because her family wouldn't let her back in. On the other hand, you, you would have um, experiences like Lola Narcisa, who was taken up in um, Abra, the furthest uh, point north, uh, uh, northern Luzon. And there all the women were taken, all the women, the girls were taken, all her sisters were taken, her aunt was taken, and even her husband's, what would be her husband's um, uh, sisters, they were also taken. Um, when he met her, she and her, she and her sister were a little bit out of their minds and eating from a banana plant, and he came upon them and helped nurture them because of the experiences that his sister had, right? And in, in their case, once she was healed, he fell in love with her and took her out of that space and um, brought her to Manila, and they were able to have a healthy life. So it really depended on mm-hmm. the family and the region and, and, mm-hmm. how, and how things were done there. Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it somewhat reminds me, I mean, it's certainly not anything close to Vietnam War, but, you know, just kind of having soldiers come home and be victimized again, right, for right. having sacrificed, such huge sacrifices um, for their country. Um, Evelina, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back. I, I would love for you to share one or two short uh, stories from the women um, that you think would be important for our listeners to understand and then talk about, you know, ultimately what you're hopeful that this book will do. So more from M. Evelina Galong when Purse Strings return in just a moment. Purse Strings will be right back after a word from our advertisers. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Book lovers and hundreds of compelling contemporary authors are heading to Miami for the 34th Annual Miami Book Fair, Friday, November 17th through Sunday, November 19th. See in person amazing authors, including Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Al Franken, Russell Banks, Michael Eric Dyson, Armistead Malpin, Angela J. Davis, Scott Turo, Walter Isaacson, and many more. The 34th Annual Miami Book Fair. For more information, visit MiamiBookFair.com. Hi, I'm most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Her Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Retan. 
Welcome back. I've been chatting today with M. Evelina Gellong. She is the author of just a remarkable new book called Lola's House, The Latina Women Living with War. And it's out now. It's going to be a huge feature here coming up at the Miami Book Fair. And it tells the story, largely unknown stories, of women who were taken uh, by the Japanese Imperial Army uh, to serve in rape camps and they were labeled comfort women and just really their life stories, a compilation of their stories. And um, you've shared, you know, just a bits and pieces in here and there, Evelina, of the, mm-hmm. of some of these women, but could you just maybe give us one or two examples of, of these women and, and kind of from their point of view, what, what it was like and how this had affected them? Um. All right. Well, um, it's interesting. I mean, it's hard because when I was thinking about their um, their stories and writing this book, it was really important for me to um, translate their their testimonies in their own words so that in the book they're in first person. They're really their words. Mm-hmm. But um, I can tell you two of the stories. Uh, one is Lola Cristeta um, Alcobar, and she was about 16 years old in uh, the city of Tacloban, in the area, uh, the island of Leyte, which you guys might know from the, the, the recent storms that there, um, the typhoon that, went, that passed through there. Mm-hmm. But um, she's about 16 years old, and she and her brother were asked to go to the store, to go, go down to the market and pick up some items. Um, the war was already going on. Uh, they went off, did, did the things that their mother asked them to do, uh, the I think I believe maybe another sister were at home. The father was living at a different place. Uh, when they got there, there was nobody there. The the Japanese soldiers had already come through, and they were making their way around the property when they were taken and separated and brought down close to uh, the bay, the river there in San Jose, and there for uh, for several months. And let me tell you. There was like, and I, I I went there with her. There was a a round circle, like maybe maybe uh, fifteen feet in circumference. And she told me that there were barbed wire fences there, and it was actually where the fishermen would throw their fish in there and hold the fish when they were fishing. Um, and she mm-hmm. was held there with more than thirty young girls, just like that. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and she she talks about like how at night or day or whenever they felt like it the soldiers would just put their arms in there you know and pull the girls out by by their arms and you know in the middle of the night there they would just all be there under the stars and what would have normally been a beautiful you know a beautiful night there they are lying there and all these young girls are being raped all together mm-hmm. you know several times by different um that to me is such a, a horrifying a horrifying experience, um, and we we called her um, Lola Iak Iak, which means Lola Cry Cry, because she always cried. Mm. Every time she told the oh. story, she cried. Every time she was happy, she cried. Any time she felt anything in her heart, she cried. And I think it's because this experience was has been with her so deeply, and so you know that there there's been you know before she was able to tell the story, she kept it all in. Everything was inside, mm-hmm. you know, and then mm-hmm. they, she tell she, like many of the other ones, tell a story, relive the, every time they do, there's a Tagalog phrase, which means little bit by little bit, it's leaving my heart. 
So they free the uh-huh. stories, and 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 I think that's why you know she would feel she would feel things. She would feel happy. She would feel sad. You know, she would the, the she'd mm-hmm. feeling. <laughs> she was there crying, and they called her Lola. Cry, cry. So that's one story. Um, do you have time for another one? Sure, give me one more. Like yes, another? absolutely. Do you want to? Sure. Okay, so yeah, then, even though um, I have to say it makes me makes me very sad to hear the story, but I think it's so important to share that. I know, I know, it is really important. <laughs> um, I think it is really important. Um, and the other one, the other one uh, is uh, that I'll tell you about is um, Lola Benita, um, and she was nine years old. It's a little bit different her mm-hmm. story. Uh, she was, oh boy, it's escaping. She was there in Manila and um, uh, kind of in the countryside, and her family had evacuated, and uh, they were hungry, and she knew that they were hungry. And even though, um, even though she was told to, you know, just be the little girl that she, uh, she snuck off to go back to the house because she knew there was in the kitchen a closet, and in that closet there was a lot of rice. Rice is a staple mm. for, for the Filipinos, right? So she sne- she sneaks back and she goes into the house to get rice for the family. And what happens? The soldiers have already occupied that very home. And she walks into mm. it's like a total trap. Um, they see her. Um, they accost her. They take her. They place her into her own home, and um, she's made to serve these soldiers in her home as a nine-year-old. Um, oh. And. Uh, when she, you know, eventually when she comes out of it, when the war is over, um, she is one of the women who for a long time has, um, the English translation is, lost herself to herself, which means she's gone mad. She is like, mm-hmm. she, um, she would have like these uh, moments of, uh, she just, you know, she would, she would be existing, but she would black out. And, um, her story, the way she tells it, I think that she might have gotten herself into a little bit of trouble, um, you know, when she was in these blackouts, that, that she might have been abused again after wartime during these blackouts. Mm. Uh, her heart, too, was really um, heavy. And when we first got there, we would, I know I brought my students with me, so my students and I, we, we would do these activities with them, like we would dance with them. They would teach us how to tango, and we would teach them how to raise the roof, and there was a little bit of joy and happiness, mm-hmm. and we'd say, come dance with us, Lola Benita. And she'd say, no, 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 my, 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 my knee hurts, my knee hurts. But I think after you know eight weeks of being there and spending time with them and hearing their stories and being willing to just be with them. She got up and she started dancing. And she was the one before, you know, when we were leaving that pulled us into the middle of the dance floor. So there's oh, there are two out of this, you know, very quick renditions mm-hmm. of their stories. Not nearly the full thing, but really absolutely important. not. Yeah, it's so really, important to I, share. Yeah, I, I do want to say, you know, I've heard some people say, I don't know if I can bear to read the stories. I don't know if I can, you know, if I can handle it. And I, you know, to that I want to say, I think we owe it to our daughters to read these stories mm-hmm. and to, to know what can be done to women and girls during war. I think we need to know so that we don't let mm-hmm. it happen again, which is why the women tell their stories. I think if they yeah. have experienced this, who knows what our daughters will have in mm-hmm. time of war. So for mm-hmm. that reason, it's important. It is. It is. It's, um, I shared your book with my 17-year-old daughter, and she is part of a feminist club at her high school. Mm-hmm. And she took the book to the club and shared some of 
um, backgrounds on your women. And mm-hmm. five other girls said, I want to read that book. So I want you to know that at least the book I have is going to be read, read by young women who um, are compelled to understand these women's stories. And I know they will be greatly affected by it, as I'm sure your students undoubtedly were, correct? I mean, mm-hmm. I just can't even imagine having the opportunity to spend time with these women and not being deeply, deeply changed as a result of it. Yes. Um, so what do you hope your book ends up achieving ultimately? I hope that um, what the book does is the stories, at least of these 16 women, with with the knowledge that there were 400 girls during World War II that were taken and systematically placed into these sexual slave camps. That you know, creating that awareness, and then what I hope is that we start to have these conversations where we can see that they are part of a larger continuum that what mm-hmm. they experienced is um, really uh, the extreme of what, uh, what we've been talking about lately with, you know, the Harvey Weinstein mogul, mm-hmm. you know, sexual assault on the very glamorous and, you know, not deserving, you know, uh, models and, 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 and starlets, right? All of a sudden it's like a hot topic and you hear all these yeah. other women, regular women saying, me too, me too, me too. Well, you know yeah. what? They too. It is part of uh, it is part of our culture and our our global culture, and I'm, what I'm hoping is that the conversation gets real, and that we start to begin to really respect women and their bodies. And when a woman says, "I have been hurt," someone has assaulted me, that we don't dismiss them, that we don't say, "Oh, it's what she was wearing, or she asked for it," or you know, no, no means no. And of course, we should know this from from you know basic human kindness 101 but for some reason there's been this history of women and we are all part of that thing is that we get real and we start to respect women and their bodies yeah and and my hope for you too is that we all can join in on the fight for social justice no matter where that is happening correct all over the world Well, thank you for the book. Thank you for spending 18 years bringing this book to fruition. And I hope it's just wildly successful to bring the attention to these women that they so greatly deserve. And the stories will have the impact that you wish that they do. And I encourage everyone to go to her website. It's www.mevelinagalang.com to learn more about Evelina's work. And pick up the book, read the book. I encourage you to, to do that. And I wish you the best of luck at the Miami Book Fair. Thank you so much, Maria. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with me today. And thank you to my producer, George. And join me right here next week for another edition of Her Strings, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Until then, make it a great one.